This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Raw Reaction series. Join you at 8am the morning after Arsenal's 3-0 victory against Fulham yesterday. And what I thought was going to be of the five fixtures that started off with the games uh, against Everton uh, and the game against Bournemouth, the most difficult. Um, and we've still got Crystal Palace and Leeds to come and our next two home games, of course. But I felt as though this was going to be the game that provided us with the toughest challenge. And of the three games of this five-game run, um, it's been the easiest. I know that Everton was a bigger scoreline, but I feel as though that even then was was a tougher challenge. So very interesting game indeed. We're going to go into all the finer details of the fixture and more. Um, plus, obviously, look into some of the specific player performances and the ramifications of the game in the wider context of our league season. And then go into the chat box and take a lot of your questions, comments and thoughts and theories about the game as well. Uh, let's say good morning, first of all, to those joining us in the chat box. Mr. Arsenal, good morning to you, to Marcus, to Yomi. Uh, good morning to Dave. Uh, good morning to Harvey and Carlton. Uh, good morning to Stevie, Matt G, uh, Guna Jake. We've got Guna Do, Guna Dude, one, two, nine, three. I wonder what that stands for. Um, the amount of points Arsenal will get this season, 1,293. Uh, Paul, Granddaddy, Guna, David, uh, Wilson, James, G1886. Uh, Diane, good morning to you as well. Uh, thank you so much uh, for everybody tuning in as always. I really appreciate the time. Do drop a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're new around here with those co conversations turned on. I mean, if you want to turn on your conversations, that'd be great. I mean, love hearing your thoughts. But notifications is what you should be turning on. Um, and making sure that you get told every single time uh, we drop a video live into your feeds. So, without further ado, let's go into the stories. So, Arsenal completely and utterly dominated Fulham yesterday in our 3-0 Premier League win at Craven Cottage. Uh, I was fortunate 
enough to be there. Um, it was, I don't know if you saw my, my Twitter feed, uh, but I was blessed with the curse of the metal pole, um, which, <laughs> which is something special. If you don't know, if you've never been to kind of some of the old fashioned grounds in England, I'll see if I can try and get a photo on the screen for you shortly. But uh, if, you've not, or if you've never been to some of the old fashioned grounds like Crystal Palace and in particular Craven Cottage, what you often find is that sometimes you're in a position where you've got a massive pole uh, in the in the way of what you're looking at, I should be able to get this on the screen for you now. Uh, there we go. So you can see what I was looking at. Um, I had a massive metal uh, stanchion in the way. And whenever in the first half we got a corner from our left flank, which happened to be, of course, where we scored our first goal from and where the cross for the second goal came from and the cross from the third goal came from. All from that side, all from where that pole is. Um, I know there's going to be the people in the chat box suggesting that the away curse that I brought apparently uh, earlier in the season was blocked by this pole. So anything that went and happened on that left wing that I couldn't necessarily see uh, in the best way, shape or form, um, it ultimately did the, uh, did, <laughs> did the job blocking me from seeing it. But uh, no, we were able to kind of move uh, in a way to so, so that we didn't miss anything. And it was certainly a fantastic day of football with Arsenal picking up three goals and three points. Gabriel again scoring against Fulham. Uh, he obviously scored in the game earlier on this season. He scored in that away game at Craven Cottage at the beginning of the season before last, if you remember as well, that header uh, that he leaped uh, to meet from another uh, corner. And um, yeah, I think obviously we know that him and Saliba have been real threats. Um, they've both now got three goals this season uh, between the two of them, uh, rather in combination. Uh, so six goals between them which obviously shows their threat from not just set pieces, but Saliba's obviously popped up with a great finish. Uh, Gabriel has also popped up in the box before uh, with goals too. And it's important that we have that type of threat because from defending set pieces, we've not been too great. But actually from attacking set pieces, we've now <laughs> find ourselves uh, with two massive threats and, and aerial um, possibilities to aim for. And Trossard's brilliant corner. This is obviously two games in a row we've now scored from a corner with Vieira finding Saliba in Portugal on Thursday and now Trossard finding the Brazilian defender yesterday. It is certainly something hopefully we can continue to use and utilise before the season finishes and could be really key in how we want to end our campaign. Now, Martinelli and Trossards, I want to talk about these two together. I know that they absolutely would deserve their own sections, but they combined to score the second goal. So it makes sure that it certainly, uh, it, it makes sure that we need to talk about them in combination because I love the dynamic between these two. How Trossards are centre forward, but not really. About Martinelli's a left wing, but not really. I really get so joyous about the idea of the defence of the other team being ultimately bamboozled um, by how they obviously combine and one moves to the left and one moves centrally. And it happened obviously against Leicester with our sole goal of that game, Trossard moving to the left-hand side, picking up Gabriel's ball and then playing through Martinelli. But in this game, Trossard was all over the place. All over the place. Um, moved to the right, moved through the middle, moved on to the left, popped up in the box when he needed to be. And he is obviously the closest that we've got uh, in regards to a player that could give you what Gabriel Jesus could give. And there's part of me that wishes maybe that we would have done this sooner and maybe moved Trossard into the middle 
when Inketia was struggling a little bit more. But we can't really look too much on the season with things that we regret ourselves because there's so many things out of our hands that have unfortunately not gone our way. But it is uh, very interesting, and we'll come on to Jesus a little, a little bit. But when we go up against um, not sporting midweeks, I think we can make a couple of changes there and maybe give some opportunities there. But certainly in our game against Crystal Palace, Trossard has earned that spot. And Martinelli's earned his spot. And Saka is probably the only one out of the three at the moment that's probably performing um, to the lower level of the three. Um, Saka's probably dropped a little bit behind them in just terms of consistent, not consistent form, but um, immediate form right now as we speak. But those two have combined so, so well. And uh, I think have made Arsenal far less predictable. And that's opened up a lot of opportunities for Arsenal in what we want to do on the field. And Trossard and Martinelli have just been absolutely brilliant in that regard. So certainly they need to continue as a pair. Martin Odegaard's getting into double digits for the season. At the start of the campaign, a lot of people really felt that that was the challenge he needed to set himself. And I would say that a lot of people didn't necessarily see Martin Odegaard getting uh, into double digits. But he certainly has proven those people wrong and has absolutely justified the faith and the commitment that Mikel Arteta has given him, not only to become our captain, but our main creative attacking force at the head of the midfield three. He is and has been so good and continues to be my favourite player in this Arsenal side. Brilliant finish. Love the timing. Love the little fake shots that he provides and smashing it into the corner past Leno. He could have had one or two more potentially as well. Um, and I think that or he may even look back on this season and think if he ends up getting something like 12 to 15 goals this campaign that he could have maybe even got to 20. But he is still learning. He is still developing. And I think that the, uh, the finishing part of his game, his shooting, that aspect of his game is going to be more refined. He's only really this season, I think, taken that to the next level. And I think there are still levels to go. But we really certainly have got something special on our hands with Martin Odegaard in the team. Thomas Partey, if you want a demonstration of what a midfield masterclass is, I would recommend trying to find some way of watching back the whole game. You can do this if you have access to things like Scout, of course. If you're not, I, I, just as best you can, watch as many highlights, extended highlights as you can find. Because, my goodness, what, what we experienced yesterday from Thomas Partey's midfield performance was unrivaled. Complete control, brilliant recoveries, Great uh, presence of thought to intercept and anticipate movements of the opposition. Um, the progression that he brings to the team, the power and, and intelligence that he brings to the side with his movements and the way in which he directs the ball and he kind of conducts things through the middle. And look, Jorginho is a good player. And when Partey was out, Jorginho was doing a good job and produced some really good performances. And he's not by far a much more capable deputy to Partey than anyone else that we've had the whole time that Partey has been here. But ultimately, the gap between Jorginho and Partey is just so significant that when you... It's not a case of like, we're so much worse if we don't have Partey in the team because that'd be unfair on, on Jorginho. What a more accurate description would be is that we're just so much better when Partey is in the side over Jorginho. We're good with Jorginho, but we are brilliant in the midfield with Partey. And his inclusion, his reliability and availability between now and the end of the season is obviously going to be absolutely key. When we did our show last night, if you haven't yet watched that, myself, Raf, and Umar had a good chat about yesterday's game and yesterday's Let's Talk Arsenal show. Um, and that's available for you to watch if you haven't already tuned in. 
Um, but Umar basically said outright, if if Partey is fit between now and the end of the season, we'll win the league. And if he's available between for all the rest of the 11 games that we've got, uh, which I find is diminishing the number of games we've got left at an alarming rate and an exciting rate. Um, but with the 11 games that we've now got in the league between now and the end of the season, if Partey is available for all of them, he believe we'll win the title. And it's difficult to disagree. Uh, now, Partey was unavailable, I think, for the last eight, 10 games of last season. So as soon as we get past that point, we start seeing maybe what the benefit of having Partey in the end of season run is, which is something that we've not really in a setting of really competitive end to the campaigns had. So let's see. Uh, let's see what we end up doing. And uh, we just know now that Partey is so key to what we do. And hopefully, fingers crossed, he can stay fit between now and the end. Now, the big, biggest cheer of the day, and I certainly count all of the goal celebrations in that, the loudest noise we heard from the Arsenal fans, who were fantastic, by the way, all game, really, really good. But the loudest noise we heard from them was, of course, as you would expect, the return of Gabriel Jesus. Now, when he arrived at the pitch, it was the the press uh, the press lounge before you go out to where you sit. There's a little, like, every stadium has a room where the press can kind of commune, uh, commune and sit with their laptops and prep their work and do all the things that we need to do. But right outside the door to that is the entrance to uh, the player section. So the coaches pull up outside the doors of the press lounge. So all we had to do was hop outside briefly and you could watch the players come in. So myself, Sam Dean, James Benj, uh, all standing outside, Charles Watts as well, waiting to see who would come through. And as soon as Gabriel Jesus uh, showed his head around the corner, I think he was wearing a little beanie, um, and uh, <laughs> everyone was just looking in in excitement, wonderment, and we're just buzzing to see um, Jesus back and, and see Jesus once again part of this Arsenal team. Um just realised I've not plugged my charger in. Of course I haven't. Uh, is this the cable? Yes, it is. Uh, just plug that one in, so otherwise we won't have a podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, Gabriel Jesus, when he came onto the field, the biggest cheer we got from the whole day was him entering the field. And then not only to see that, but... Yes, he's not absolutely 100% sharp. Yes, he's still going to have to acclimatise. But I've seen players come back from injury far worse and come into a side far worse. I've not seen too many players come in and look as ready as he did during the game. I think that chance that he had uh, when he went through on goal, by the way, what a pass from Fabio Vieira, by the way. Again, really proving people what he's capable of, his vision, timing, running and passing. Really, really good for that uh, for that opportunity. And certainly deserved a good finish, which, by the way, would have continued his run of being Arsenal's second highest assister this season. Again, showing what he's capable of achieving and how he's contributed to Arsenal this campaign. But Gabriel Jesus should have scored that chance, but probably a Jesus that's fully fit does. So I'm not going to be too critical of that. But the chance he sets up for Reese Nelson, like the ball through and in behind. And I was so annoyed at Nelson for not taking that on his left foot, not because obviously. I wanted to see Jesus get the assist as well. Because for Nelson's sake, he's just scored one of the best left-footed strikes you'll ever see. He should be as confident as any player can be on their weak foot. And in that moment, he just lacked that confidence still. And I worry that that is the thing that's going to separate Reese Nelson from being capable of succeeding at Arsenal. Because ultimately, a lot of it does come down to confidence, belief in your own ability and to take things on and take challenges on. And Reese really should have smashed out of his left foot and just tested Leno. It might not have gone in. It might have gone straight at the keeper. But 
he absolutely should have taken that shot on his left foot and shown that he's got the capabilities of trying to score on that side, especially if he wants to be a left winger, which seems to be his, his better role. Um, but back to Jesus, what a brilliant introduction and uh, I cannot wait to see what we see and bring uh, to the team with of course Jesus back in the side and uh, him coming in on Thursday whether or not it's, it's, it's at the start we did a poll in yesterday evening's show 21% of the hundreds that voted said that they would start him 79% said ultimately that they would ease him back in and bring him on as a sub on Thursday against Sporting so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Arteta reached 100 wins uh, as Arsenal boss. Uh, his records in terms of what he produces and has produced at Arsenal continues to be absolutely fantastic. Um, the it, it really is kind of it, it really is kind of um, not surprising. That's not the right word, but it's it's I think humbling uh, is what Arteta has done for a lot of people and what he's achieving for a lot of people is humbling, including myself, because, of course, as you very well know, a lot of us were in a very dark place just over a year ago, you know, in 2021 in that Europa League final. Um, and we witnessed that disappointing end to the season. And then, of course, the end of last season where we missed out on top four. But we always said that it would have been an overachievement to get top four last year. It certainly wouldn't be this season and is proving to be so. But you can't, he just feels so inevitable at the moment of what he's achieving, what he's doing. Um, there's brilliant pieces of analysis all around social media and online, some great articles that have been written about what Arteta has done at this club, the way in which he's changed things, the way in which he's introduced a different style, the way he's in, the, the style that no one could really see, you know, at the start of his time. One of the big questions about Arteta was, we don't see his style of play. And I think ultimately what it was all about was that he just didn't have the players that he needed. But now he has, and he's been backed. The owners have backed him. We can't say that they haven't. They've introduced key players into the squad. They've brought through younger players in the group. They've invested in in big signings like Ben White, um, like Thomas Partey, of course, when he first arrived. Um, we've brought in players like Gabriel Jesus and Sinchenko, who we desperately wanted to add that fight and fire and, and title-winning capacity and experience to the side. And not only that, but we are doing things that we haven't done since some of the best years that we've seen. But most of all, the thing I love the most is that A, and it's two, it's kind of two things combined. A, you can clearly tell how much he loves Arsenal Football Club and how much he wants Arsenal Football Club to reach its, its peak again and to reach a point in time where you can look back on it and think, yeah, you know that period under Mikel Arteta was one of the best periods we've had as a football club. He cares. This isn't just a job to him. This is... Uh, without a shadow, his baby, uh, in terms of the project that he's building, it means so much more than just a managerial job. Like some managers will go between job, between job, will uh, be proud of the job they've done or they won't do too well and they'll move on to the next club. And one day Arteta will move on because it's part and parcel of football. It will happen and we will have to deal with that when that point comes around. Hopefully it's not for a very long time. But what you can tell is that Mikel Arteta looks at Arsenal as without a shadow of a doubt that the team for him, the project for him, and something that he wants to make sure that he leaves a strong legacy with. Um, 
I think there are things that he can still do better, which is great. It's a really good thing. Um, I wish he'd be warmer <laughs> with the press, obviously, from my perspective. Um, but, you know, to be fair, I, sometimes you can't necessarily blame someone always for that. But I wish sometimes he'd give you more. I wish I think he can explain things more. I, I, I know he's, he's capable of it. I think he's holding back sometimes. And maybe he's just worried of giving too much away. But I think he could be... Um, better uh with what he gives and what he explains sometimes um i don't mind the uh what's the word i'm looking for i don't he's not a liar (laughs) i don't use the word a liar but i don't i don't mind the deception when it comes to team news when it comes to transfers i don't mind that to be honest i quite like it um i think that you have to you have to be kept on your toes and you have to certainly keep the opposition guessing so i would never ever really be too critical of of that side of things. But it was funny to see Jesus and Trossard in the team when he basically ruled out the fact that they weren't going to be there. Um, Keep keep the opponent guessing in that aspect. But just, yeah, I'd like it to elaborate on a lot more of the questions that you get asked sometimes because I think his insight and what he says and how he talks about football when he goes into detail is really, really good. So I'd like to hear more of it. Um, And that's really the only off-field kind of thing that I have. And I think obviously that his in-game management, his substitutions can always, we can look at that part of his game and we can always be, we can always want a bit more and we could want him to improve and we could want him to read games maybe a little bit better. But I am nitpicking because ultimately those are the things that might separate us from one day being a very, very dominant side with Arteta at the helm and where we are right now, which is pretenders and challengers and looking to try and get to the top. But hopefully one day we can establish ourselves there and uh, he will have ironed out some of the creases and built upon and furthered plenty of the successes that he's got. Um, So that's what is really exciting about Mikel Arteta. Uh, We brought the clock end across London. Uh, You saw this photo uploaded to social media with the Arsenal team with Arsenal's clock end clock. Um, I didn't necessarily get the context of this. I don't know if it was surrounding Arteta's 100th win and that's why they did it. Maybe it was something that Arteta used in one of his pre-match talks um, before the game. We know he loves a prop. You can't say the man does not love a prop, whether it's a light bulb, whether it's a funny picture of a brain. He loves a prop before a game. And uh, talking about the clock end and the fact that Arsenal's support was so good, it was almost as if the clock end was in Craven Cottage. We basically brought it with us with how good the crowd were. I would be interested to know, and if anyone asked Mikel Arteta in his pre-match press conference ahead of Sporting on Wednesday what that was about, it would be very interesting indeed to hear uh, what it was indeed about. Um, so, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to seeing what this team can achieve under Arteta. And uh, it is just an absolute joy to be an Arsenal fan right now. And uh, also the amount, of, the amount of fans that hate us and rival supporters that can't stand us is absolutely fantastic as well. OK, let's go to part two. Your questions, your thoughts, your theories and queries right after this. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. 
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Of course, you can also get your hands on some TGT non-profit merch and help some fantastic causes like Cancer McMillan Support and the Arsenal Foundation. All profits made from this will be going to those two charities and the local business that is helping to produce our TGT merch. Link in the description. You can get your home hat or your away hat. Um, certainly the one I'm wearing right now, the away one, for me, is great because it just kind of matches the grey stripes on the top of the away kit. So it's kind of that synergy. Uh, and that's what we would aim to achieve with anything else that we release in the future. But uh, yeah, very much excited to see everybody else. Uh, Louis in the chat box says, already ordered mine. Fantastic, Louis. Thank you so much for helping support. I'll be bringing some of these out as well, as I say, to Chicago, hopefully as well uh, next month for the live show. Anyway, uh, let's go into the chat box then and tackle some of your questions. Uh, Matt says, did you see Mick Jagger uh, with the deal hat? <laughs> He's too old for that, surely. We need to get him a TGT hat instead. Yeah, it would, I think, be more fashionable than what he was wearing. Ridiculous. I uh, didn't know Mick Jagger was an Arsenal fan, by the way. I had no idea. So it was very interesting seeing him pop up on the screen yesterday. He popped because obviously we've got screens in the press box and it was like, I turned to Kyra and was, is, is that... It is, isn't it? It is, Mick Jack. Um, Very strange. Very strange indeed. Uh, Didger says, Tom, with the Man City game in hand, when would it be played? Uh, also, hoping Liverpool can beat them at the Etihad and we can both beat City and Liverpool away. Of course, that'd be the dream scenario. We've got two Premier League games before we, of course, travel to Anfield in what is going to be a very, very interesting game indeed. My expectation, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, actually, um, in terms of when their fixture against, is, I think it's West Ham, um, would actually get played. I think it will either get played between their game against Leicester and Brighton, so probably around the 20th, uh, the 19th or 20th of April, um, or it will get played between their games against Leeds and Everton, so probably around the 10th, the 9th, 10th of May. That's where my estimation of it might be, because uh, I think that's really the only spaces, but I don't know if obviously there's, there's gaps. I don't know when the Champions League rounds are. Actually, I can check that Champions League. 2023 dates let's have a quick look uh when are the rounds so scroll down the knockout rounds so the quarterfinals are the 11th and 12th and 18th and 19th so the 18th and 19th is between leicester and brighton so if they get through and past leipzig it couldn't be there uh what about between the first and the 9th of april um, you'd think they would have done it by now, wouldn't you? So there's a gap between Man City facing Liverpool and them facing Southampton. That's also a gap. So they could play it maybe the fourth or the fifth, but you think it would have been rearranged by this point, but maybe it's too soon. The last one is between the 6th and the 13th, as I said, and the the semi-finals are the 9th and 10th and 16th and 17th of May, which, again, if they make it to the semi-finals, I don't know where they put that West Ham game. Very difficult. we just got to keep our fingers crossed that they keep progressing through these cup games because then the question is, where on earth are they going to play those fixtures? 
So we just got to keep keeping our fingers crossed that they keep progressing through the cup competitions because it's going to make things very difficult indeed for them to play any games whatsoever. Um, Akbal says, do you think the referee realised he made a mistake giving Vieira the free kick for tripping over himself? Because I think if he did think it was a foul, the defender should have been booked. Um, I don't know. It was a really strange one. I couldn't really tell from where it was. I only knew because I've only been able to watch uh, the goal highlights after the game because obviously I was there and uh, I haven't watched the uh, the game in full in terms of its coverage. But um, it was difficult to see what had happened. They didn't really show it on the replay where I was. Uh, but I did see Rob holding put his Instagram story up after the game saying that Vieira is the only player ever to win a free kick by fouling himself, uh, which is quite funny. Um, but yeah, I haven't yet seen that. But I assume maybe maybe the referee was kind of more lenient because he may have realised his error in that moment. Um, Tom uh, says, what was Gabrielle's miming celebration? I have a, a long pointy beard, is that what he was saying? Um, he was doing the M thing. I don't know if, uh, I think... I think maybe his daughter's name begins with an M. Um, let me have a quick check. I think maybe that's what it is. Um, but uh, I think Kaya mentioned something. Yes, I think his daughter is called Maya. So I think that's what it was. M, which I can't seemingly do. M um, for Maya. I think that's what the reason um was behind his celebration. So there you go. Uh, Olu says, hey, Tom, with benefit of hindsight, would you increase your ratings for the January transfer window from a seven? Uh, well, ask me at the end of the season, Olu. <laughs> I think that's the only way. And I said, to be fair, I did say that during the transfer window. I did say we would have to reflect upon whether or not the transfer window has been successful at the end of the season. We'll only know. So it was kind of a prediction. And it, a seven was a very safe um rating of the window and i think when you come to the end of the season you can have a better assumption a better um assessment of of that window so i would say i'm gonna wait i would say certainly right now it's coming out much higher than a seven but we'll have to wait and see uh come the end of the season whether or not it does indeed mean that uh temi says the clock means that there's 11 games to go maybe it does uh maybe it does um fran in the chat box yes tom with the merch if you haven't checked out fran's uh video on her channel uh galazzo make sure which is fantastically and cleverly named by the way um uh, make sure that you go and check it out uh, some brilliant uh pieces of artwork are available that will also go to help some charities as well which is fantastic make sure you check it out um let's go to uh anton who says would you rather see city advancing in the champions league will be eliminated advancing keep them playing as many games as feasibly possible anton so yeah definitely definitely advancing um sean says hi tom uh, i was at the game yesterday also had the curse of the pole did you notice that kieran tierney playing center forward when he came on could be his new role <laughs> um he did play more so on the left to be fair uh, and i know he popped up in certain positions in advanced positions uh, later on in the game but it was great to see him play. You know, he's just not played all that much. He was ill, so he missed the trip and the opportunity to play midweek. He'll probably start on Thursday. Um, he'll probably start against Sporting, you'd imagine. So it was great to see him get an opportunity to get some minutes on the field. Um, let's scroll down the chat box a little bit more. James says, is it just my opinion? Or is this one of the best Arsenal disciplinary seasons? I can't think of any red cards and few yellows. Are we winning the Fair Play Awards? Premier League Fair Play Table. Let's have a quick look. Premier League Fair Play Table for 22-23. We're not. We are fifth. Um, we have got... So you get points, basically. You get a point 
for every uh, yellow card. I don't know how many points you get for red cards. I don't know if it's, is it two points or three points for a red card? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, apparently it's not. Hold on, straight red cards. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I, I don't know how it works. <laughs> I, I don't know how it works. Um, but uh, I think you just get a point for every card, maybe. Is that what it is? But uh, according to this, Brighton have had no red cards and 32 yellows, and they have 32 points. Man City have 30 uh, yellow cards, one straight red card, and one yellow red plus red. I don't know what that is. How can a yellow red red card? It doesn't make any sense. So apparently they've had one red card and one yellow red card that became a red card. This doesn't make any sense to me. Hold on. So if they've got 30 yellows and one red, and yeah, and then one yellow. Right, let me share my screen with you, and then you'll know what I'm looking at. Because at the moment, I must be sounding like I'm talking absolute gibberish. But let me share my screen, and then maybe someone in the chat box can help me. Because at the moment, it sounds like I'm going red lorry, yellow lorry. Um, let's go to the screen. So if I zoom in, and you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. So you can see here, Brighton have 32 yellow cards and 32 points. Yes, do we all agree with that? But Man City have 30 yellow cards. And then it says one red, but then I don't know what this is here. It says yellow, red, plus red. But you've got yellows that become red cards here, so as in two yellows. And then you've got straight red cards. So what on earth is this? Is that what it is combined? Am I? Is that what it is combined? I'm looking now. So, yeah. Ah, yes, it is. It's what it is combined. So why, why do you need to include that? That doesn't matter. <laughs> it just throws people off. So, yeah, it is combined because if we have a look at Chelsea – They've got 50 yellow cards. They've got two uh, red cards that have been two yellows, and they've had one straight red card, which obviously has a total of three. So, yes, we've worked it out. So how much do red cards, how much are they worth? They're worth five points. So a red card is worth five points. A yellow card is worth three points. I don't know if just double yellows is worth less than that. Um, so Leeds United have had 50 points for yellows. They've had two double yellows becoming reds which has got 56. Ah, yes. So a double yellow becoming a red card is worth three points. A straight red card is worth five points and a yellow card is worth uh, one point. We got there in the end. It was arguably the hardest thing I've ever done since I was at university, but we've managed to do it. So Arsenal have got 39 yellow cards this season, no reds and obviously 39 points. Brighton are doing the best on 32, joint with West Ham. And at the bottom of the table is Wolves, uh, 52 yellows, one double yellow, three straight reds, 70 points. Manchester United are 18th, 58 yellow cards, two straight reds, uh, no prizes for knowing who got the two straight reds, 68 points so far this season. But Arsenal and Man City unsurprisingly, uh, are high up in the table. Man City have had a red card this season, a straight red. Who was sent off? Man City straight red card. Who was sent off? Uh, Cancelo? Cancelo was shown a straight red card uh, after conceding a penalty and was sent off against Fulham. Oh, was that the game? Did Man City still manage to win that? Yeah, Man City still managed to win that 2-1. I remember Cancelo getting sent off and thinking, oh, Big chance here um, to see Fulham get a result, but no, trust Fulham to be terrible. <laughs> That's why we won, I think, rather comfortably yesterday. Um, but yes, thanks for that question. That made me have an absolute... I mean, in terms of challenging my brain at 8am, 
that's probably the biggest challenge we faced uh, as a channel, <laughs> trying to work out how that worked. So there you go. Uh, lovely stuff. Um, let's scroll up in the chat. Some people think that it's Rodri. Uh, oh, no, Rodri scored a screamer in that game. Uh, Holland with a penalty. KDB got a dive. Uh, oh, I remember watching that. Yeah, I do remember watching that. James says 15 of our yellow cards are from celebrating. <laughs> I wonder how. I wonder what um, VAR's disciplinary record is. It's probably terrible. I'll be giving it a billion red cards for this season. It's been absolutely awful. Um, DJ Polar says, finally catching a live show from the Bahamas. It's 4.32 a.m. here. So glad about the result. What's your opinion on Xhaka's hesitation to score that beautiful goal? Oh, that's so annoying. Honestly, I can't tell you how frustrating it was watching back the highlights of that Xhaka miss. Because that chance, that whole move was, it would have been, I think it might have been the peak Mikel Arteta goal if that goes in. Not only because it was Xhaka finishing it, so there's the poetic emotion of the redemption story of Granite Xhaka, who's not scored in a, in a while, actually, to be fair. He's still stuck on four goals in the, in the league for this season. But it would have been, I think, the poetic uh, kind of encapsulates, encapsulating everything, I suppose, that uh, we've seen from Mikel Arteta's football, the style. And I was, I was fuming, sitting in the press box, absolutely fuming, and still try not to show too much emotion with the I had Fulham fans sitting right behind me. Um, I had two Fulham fans on my right, and then a few other journalists, including uh, Romano on the left-hand side behind us. And uh, it was difficult, obviously, because you don't want to... I could, it wasn't like um, Aston Villa. It wasn't like, obviously, Arsenal against Bournemouth, where you're surrounded by other journalists. So you can be a little bit more... Um, not flamboyant, that's not the word I'm looking for. A little bit more enthusiastic. Um with your, and exuberant with your celebrations if you you're not meant to still but uh but <laughs> you're certainly looking at that it was very strange uh being we have to really sit on my hands more than i ever have before and that moment the jacka miss yeah that was peak frustration because it would have been a brilliant brilliant goal but thank you dj polo for tuning in much appreciate your kind support to the channel um let's scroll up because i saw a comment from nav earlier on that says tom never reads out any of my comments now i've met nav in real life so i feel really bad but i'm looking through the comments now he hasn't asked here we go he has asked the question now says i always wondered why they called it the clock end is it because the stadium goes round in a circle <laughs> no uh it's because of the the clock the famous uh clock that is at that end of the stadium and of course was there at highbury as well it's the highbury clock so that's that's why they call it the clock end now. Um, so hopefully that gives you uh, a reason behind that. Uh, Fuad says, what did you make of the Casemiro red card? Um, I think the the reaction and the, the embarrassment, and genuinely it's embarrassing what some of Manchester United fans are trying to suggest. I don't mind anything regarding, like, if you want to bring up examples of other challenges that have been given as red cards or not been given as red cards, and use that to compare and say, if you've not given this a red card, how can you give Casemiro a red card? The problem is, is that's the wrong way of looking at it. It's the wrong way of looking at it. The, way, the right way of looking at it is, if you want to look at a similar challenge, what you've got to say is, is Casemiro is a red card, but you have to send these other guys off as well. But I saw people using the Dan Byrne challenge, I think, on Ruben Neves. Whilst it's a bad challenge... I don't think it's the same. There's a debate about that one being a red card or not. I think there's more debate in that one than there is the Casemiro one. 
But the thing is with the, the, the Dan Byrne one, he goes down on the player's ankle. Studs obviously are down, but they're going into the player and he gets the ball first, uh, which doesn't matter. I know not always it doesn't matter if you're out of control, but it was a different style of tackle. If you're going to compare a, a tackle like Casemiro, you've got to find a tackle that actually looks similar to what he did which was nothing like Burns, because he goes in on the player's shins, which is the more dangerous area uh, to go studs in on a player. It was out of control. It was reckless. And he should have gone. Just like um, I think Bruno Fernandes should have gone against um, Real Betis uh, for his tackle on on Bravo. It, both of them completely out of control. Uh, dangerous challenges that could have seriously injured the person they were going in on. It's a red card. And Manchester United fans are embarrassing themselves by trying to compare challenges that weren't sent off to suggest, well, if that's not got a red card, Casemiro shouldn't have been sent off. And that is a classic example of the biased nature of the assessment of a tackle. Because the genuine way to look at that Casemiro is to go, this is a red card. Be humble. Admit the fact your guy's gone out of control and he's gone in in a stupid challenge and it's a red card level challenge but be critical of the other challenges that have not been punished. That's what needs to be talked about. The tackles that have not been getting red cards that should be getting red cards. But I'm sorry, you cannot tell me by any stretch of the imagination that there is a legitimate argument for Casemiro not being given a red card in that scenario because it is a horrific attempt at a challenge and a dangerous uh, act onto an opponent. This season, Manchester United fans have pure, absolutely, not all of them, some of them have stayed pretty, you know, uh, grounded about things. But the majority, and unfortunately plenty of content creators as well, have really embarrassed themselves with their opinions of that club. And have really looked like massive hypocrites regarding the whole takeover thing as well. So it's it's really is an embarrassing season for Manchester United, both the way in which they've analysed their club. If you've ever watched us on the Arsenal Lounge this week or last week, I think I went in pretty hard on Manchester United and the fan base and the way in which they are run as a football club and the arrogance that they have as a team. Um, and of course, we had a seven-up supporter in the chat box as well the other week, which is quite funny, but they are an embarrassment of a football team right now. And frankly, are they are masquerading in third place. It was a joke to even consider them title challengers, but they are masquerading being in third place this season. The only reason, people say that the only reason Arsenal are winning the league or you know are currently in the position where they'd be winning the league is because of the, 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 the fullbacks of, and the drawbacks, not drawbacks, of the underperformances of teams like Chelsea, of teams like Liverpool, teams like that. People have suggested the only reason that Arsenal are there, and that's a lot of bollocks, you know. <laughs> in short, it's a lot of rubbish because Arsenal have been fantastic. They've played great football. They've blown teams away this season with how good they've been. Yes, they've managed to score some late goals in games. And yes, I'll even be as magnanimous to say we've had a little bit of fortune in some moments. We've also been really unlucky with VAR decisions, one that which has definitely cost us at least two points, arguably four point, five points because we could have got that goal at Manchester United and that would have been very different. But Manchester United are the biggest beneficiaries this season of that argument that there are suggestions that uh, other teams have been underperforming. Because if Liverpool were just a little bit better, or if Newcastle had been able to maintain their run, or if Chelsea had been a bit better than what they are now, Man United would be nowhere near top four. And they have been carried this season by Marcus Rashford. Absolutely carried this season by him. So, yes... Um, Fuad, thank you for making me go off on that. 
angry run <laughs> and rant about Manchester United. But I pray that Liverpool sort themselves out. Um, and I, it's difficult, of course, to say anyone else because I don't like Newcastle. If I had a choice between Newcastle and Man United finishing in top four, it's an impossible choice. It was like the Carabao Cup final. I didn't want either of them to win. So I don't like either club. Um, but I'd much rather Liverpool got back into the top four. Some people will say that we want them to be as damaged as possible by finishing outside the top four. But I'd rather that they got into it. Um, and then you've got to keep praying that Brighton get better. <laughs> Brighton have got loads of games in hand at the moment on, on Spurs in fourth place. If they were to win all their games in hand, which I don't think they'll do, um, they would go joint fourth in the table. Um, they've got two games in hand on Manchester United, but that would still leave them five points behind them if they were to win both of those. I just hope Man United keep dropping points. And of course, without Casemiro, it is going to be, um, it's going to be very, very uh, difficult. I think for them, but they'd managed to kind of navigate the last time they didn't have him, but they will miss Casemiro for their FA cup game uh, against uh, who is it? Is it Fulham? Um, I think Man United's fixtures, but they will also miss him for their trip to uh, Newcastle and they will miss him for their game against Brentford and the game against Everton. They will be without Casemiro for those four games. Uh, I don't know how many, um, I don't know how many games he or how many yellow cards Casemiro is now away from missing two matches because of two yellow cards. Let me have a quick check how many yellow cards he's got this season. He's got five in the Premier League. So he's five yellows between now and the end of the season, which I don't think will happen because uh, he has to miss the next four games. So they only come back with seven games left in the season. Well, eight games left because of the FA Cup game. Um, and he'd have to get five yellows in those in those five games but in those seven games sorry which I don't see happening but uh, it's mad he is he's a very good player don't get me wrong he's a very good player uh, Casemiro I'm not saying that you know I, I, the debates around midfield and me are, are pointless because Partey has been the best offensive midfielder in the league but uh, Casemiro is still a very good player but my goodness has he cost Manchester United this season um, seven fixtures suspended seven games like people used to talk about Granit Xhaka about his red card recklessness. That is different level of recklessness. Seven games suspended. Oh, eight games because of the uh, the yellow cards. Of course, he missed the Arsenal game. Eight games suspended. Yeah. So uh, goodness me, madness. Um, let's go to uh, DJ Mal um, M dot says uh, a lot of DJs in the chat box. Great to see. Um, make sure you're playing some drum bass for me, please. Uh, morning. What's your thoughts on every man and his dog thinking that City will suddenly click into gear and go on a mad winning run and pip Arsenal to the title whilst Arsenal are running on luck? Um, a lot of people are willing Arsenal to slip up. A lot of a lot of people have been kind of just willing it to happen, which is you know their prerogative. People don't really like Arsenal and haven't liked Arsenal for a long time. And City are a team where they're pretty neutral in the sense of. There's not many people that don't really like City. You, you kind of dislike them because of what they are, but there's no one that has the same virulent hate for City as they do Arsenal or Chelsea or Spurs or United or Liverpool or Stoke. <laughs> you know, teams that just people just don't like around the country. Man City are pretty kind of always been like the neutral ground for a few fans because it's like, oh, they've won the league again, you know. Great, congrats, well done. Um, you spent silly amounts of money to get where you are. Um, but you know, I think that and obviously they've got a great manager, but I think when it comes to the run that they've got, they showed against Palace. Look, Michael Elise is it's so annoying what he did because 
as I was speaking to Charles Watts yesterday at the ground and he was saying at no point did City look like scoring. They just didn't look like they were going to score. Even though they were dominating, they just didn't look like they were going to score. And Elise, unfortunately, just gifted them, gifted them that goal um, that they needed. And they won 1-0. Now they're going to play Champions League football. They've got um, RB Leipzig, of course, in midweek. Uh, they're 1-1. They have to win that game to go through, and we hope that they do. They then have the FA Cup, which means that their game in the league is suspended, which means that if we beat Palace on Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, sorry, if we beat Palace on Sunday, we will go eight points clear. Of course, we would have played a game more, but I'd rather have the points on the board. They then have to play Liverpool. Their next Premier League game is Liverpool at home. And we have got to just pray to the footballing gods that Mohamed Salah, Darwin, Nunez, Gakpo and co do the business and do us a massive, massive favour at the Etihad and get the result that we need them to. Because if they do that, and if Liverpool beat City and we've beaten Palace and Leeds in our next two home games, we will go to Anfield 11 points clear at the top of the Premier League table with a massive opportunity. A massive, massive opportunity. And that is what I'm praying. I said the other day, I think that that will happen. I said the other day, I think that we will go to Anfield. That was my prediction with an 11-point lead over City. And I really, really, really hope that I'm right because it would be a brilliant achievement to see that happen. It would take the pressure off the Anfield trip a bit as well. Not completely, but it would take some of the pressure off the Anfield trip. But what an opportunity that would be to go to Anfield, 11 points in the lead. But we need some things to go our way and we need the business to be done ourselves. And we need to make sure that we are doing the business ourselves by getting that result um, against Leeds and against Crystal Palace. You know, Crystal Palace have got a decent, not a bad record at Arsenal. They've picked up a couple of draws. Um, I think they may have even beaten us um, in the recent past. I'm trying to think if they have. I know we've lost loads of games away from home, but I'm pretty sure maybe they got a fortunate win. So we drew 2-2 with that MacArthur challenge on Saki. Remember that? We kicked him up in the air. Let me just check this. Arsenal, Crystal Palace, head-to-heads. That's what I want. Uh, Let's go to that. Let's see when was the last home record against them. So we drew the last one 2-2. We drew the one before that 0-0. We drew the one before that 2-2. We lost the one before that 3-2. We won the one in 2018-4-1. We've not beaten Palace at home since 2018. So we've got to do our business against Crystal Palace. Sambi Lukonga won't be able to play. Patrick Vieira, fingers crossed we you know, uh, continue what we did when we played away from home at Crystal Palace and we had a really good start to our season. What a, what a big point of the season that is. I'll tell you what, that could go down as genuinely the most important result of the whole season. Arsenal winning at Crystal Palace in the opening game might be the most important win of our whole season because it got us off to the perfect start in a game which we've had a terrible record in and it got us it got us building that momentum straight away from the start. I'll go on the record and say I think that's the biggest win of the season. I know some people will say Bournemouth because of what it means. I know some people will say the North London derbies because of what it is. If we beat City away from home, people will obviously point that out. But I'm going to go on record and say that I think the most important game of Arsenal's season so far was that Crystal Palace away game in August when we won 2-0. That was the most important game because it got us off to the start of this season and we had to win it, and we did. And it got things clicking. It got the gears turning. It got the team meshing and and uh, collaborating in the perfect way. So, yeah. Uh, for me, it's Crystal Palace away. It's the most important game so far and win of this season. But there are certainly great arguments for others as well. Um, 
Anyway, uh, we're going to wrap things up there. I've been going on well significantly longer than I usually do, to be fair. And uh, there's only so long I can talk for. Um, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Uh, I'll be back, of course, tomorrow morning. I'll be back actually tonight on the Arsenal Lounge at 8pm. So come and join us over there. Uh, I'll also have an interview out with one of the players that played and did rather well in yesterday's game over on football.london. That's going out at midday. Uh, my chat with one of the Arsenal players after the game yesterday. Uh, very good talker indeed. Uh, hopefully you enjoy that. So make sure you keep your eyes out for that at 12. And I'll be talking about that in a bit more detail in tomorrow morning's 8am show. So turn your notifications on as always. Always appreciate your kind support that you give to the channel. It is very much appreciated. You can, of course, help support some fantastic causes like Cancer Macmillan and the Arsenal Foundation. Um, and, of course, the local business that we're working with by buying our TGT non-profit merch. Global shipping, wherever you are in the world, you can get your hands on our home or away caps. Uh, link in the video description. Make sure you don't miss out. You can also go to the YouTube homepage for the channel and go on to store. Uh, that is now out live. The store section of the YouTube is, is also there, so you can go and get your stuff where you need it. Thank you so much, everybody that's tuned in. Really appreciate your time, as always. And uh, I know I, I finished the show the other day. Uh, my missus obviously was... Uh, the bedroom is literally through that wall. So uh, it's very, very, I talk very monotone and quite in a low tone of voice. So it carries through pretty much every wall in the house. I feel sorry for our neighbors. I've got loads of soundproofing behind me um, to try and prevent that from happening for next door. But uh, she turned around to me the other day and she said, did you know that you finished that that show yesterday by saying, and as always, four times? And I went back and listened to it. And yes, I did. I did indeed say, as always, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I, I say it and then I think, oh, I've got to mention something else. Oh, I've got to miss it. <laughs> I've got to mention something else. So, uh, yes, um, thank you for listening. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.